Do you want to make $20 for five minutes of your time? David Mandel is an upcoming three-time guest on this podcast, and his firm has designed a survey to learn what young doctors care about when it comes to finances. The first 30 of you who complete the survey get a $20 Amazon gift card. 20 bucks for five minutes, not bad. To get a link to the survey, just text GET20 to 844-418-1212. That's G-E-T-20 to 844-418-1212. I will also put a link in the show notes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to yet another episode of the Nailed It Ortho podcast. You are tuned into our board slash our OITE review series, and this is the last episode of our pediatrics episodes. I know it has been a long road for pediatrics, but rest no more. Be assured we do have more episodes coming for you all. We still got to talk about some hand. We still got to talk about some oncology. So stay tuned and let's go ahead and hop into today's episode. You are now listening to Nailed It, the orthopedic surgery podcast featuring doctors Jay Fitz and Wendell Cole. So I think that that kind of covers most of the big upper extremity deformities. So now let's kind of go with some of the syndromes and dysplasias that we see as orthopedic surgeons. But the big one, what is the most common chromosomal disorder and some of its manifestations? Yeah, so it's going to be Down syndrome. I think I actually had somebody, one of my friends yesterday was telling me that they had a friend whose kid had Down syndrome who ended up having some C-spine problems, which we'll talk about here in a, in a bit, and ended up having to have a fusion and all these different sorts of things. So this is real. And this happened. So again, Down syndrome is going to be the most common, and it's going to be associated with atlantoaxial instability, increased skiffy risk, and they're also going to have hip and patellar instability. So instability seems to be one of the recurring themes. So spine, atlantoaxial instability, increased skiffy risk, and hip and patellar instability. And, and one other patient that had, or one other condition where we see atlantoaxial instability is going to be in our rheumatoid patients as well. So anytime you have like a rheumatoid patient, Down syndrome patient, you need to think atlantoaxial instability. So what condition is noted in a patient with blue sclera, which uh, I think most people are having the, the bell ring already in their heads, a hearing loss and a history of multiple fractures? Yeah, that's going to be the osteogenesis imperfecta kids. And these ones, it's due, they may test you on the, on the genes. So it's going to be COL1A or 2A, I think, or IA2 mutation, which is a glycine substitution of the collagen 1A gene. They have an increased risk for malignant hyperthermia. And the treatment for these is bisphosphonates, and they'll have that kind of classic bony scarring of their limbs every time they get a dose of bisphosphonates. Proximal to the metaphysis, they get these kind of bony scars because that was their new dose of bisphosphonates and they get more dense bone and it's a kind of an interesting x-ray to see but yeah you're gonna treat these with bisphosphonates but again these kids fracture all the time and so they are constantly in and out of the er either getting just clothes reduced and casted or getting surgery so they know the whole surgical process through and through for sure what is the most common skeletal dysplasia and what is like the main characteristics Yes, yeah, so it's going to be achondroplasia. So achondroplasia is going to be the most common skeletal dysplasia. And so they're going to have rhizomelic limbs or more kind of shortening of the proximal part of the limb, like the humerus or the femur. So that's kind of what that rhizomelic limb is. They're going to have increased genuverum. They're going to have decreasing interpediculate distance from L1 to L5. Again, these are going to be the 
achondroplasia kids. So the distance between the pedicles from L1 to L5 are, are going to be smaller. So between the two, so you look on an x-ray of the spine, that distance will be really short. There you can have foramen magnum stenosis, thracolumbar kyphosis, as well as frontal bossing. And the, one of the test questions for this that you need to know is that this is going to be a mutation in the FGFR3. So FGFR receptor 3 mutation. This is going to be autosomal dominant, which is another thing that I've seen questions on. And this is going to be due to a defect in the endochondral bone formation, which is in the proliferative zone. So those are like three test questions right there that I've seen <laughs> at least once or twice before for achondroplasia. So again, FGFR3 mutation, autosomal dominant, and it's going to have a defect in endochondral bone formation, which is going to affect the proliferative so now what are some other conditions where there is a mutation of the FFGFR3 gene? Yes, yeah, so the FGFR3, like you just talked about, achondroplasia, hypochondroplasia, there's synatotrophic dysplasia. The key part is to remember that it's a mutation in the receptor, which is kind of different in how we think about what these FGFR3 mutations are like, just because it's something that is, I think it's upregulated. And so you don't want a lot of FGFR, but because of the mutation, they do get a lot of it. And then they develop these skeletal dysplasias. So what is the gene defect seen in cleidocranial dysplasia? Yeah, I believe in our basic science section about like these achondroplasias and the thanatrophic dysplasia. So if somebody wants a deeper dive into some of those, you can go back and listen to those episodes. But to answer your question, in cladiocranial dysplasia, this is going to be the CBFA1 gene. So it's going to be a defect. These patients are going to have defects in intramembranous ossification. And I always remember this because if you Google it, these, you know, these patients don't have clavicles present. And if you just Google cladiocranial dysplasia, you'll see the picture and you'll remember it by, okay, this is what happens here. So you're going to have defects in all the bones that where intramembranous ossification is how it's formed. So it's going to be the CBFA1 gene. What are the treatments for some of the manifestations of achondroplasia? All of us have seen a patient with achondroplasia or at least seen a person with achondroplasia either in Hollywood, Peter Dinklage is kind of the big one that comes to my mind, but they all have genuvarum. And so you're going to observe these osteotomy if needed. Usually if they are continuously symptomatic or if they continuously progress, you can always do a proximal tibia osteotomy. For the foramen, foramen magnum stenosis, you're screening those infants because it can result in sudden death. If something is needed, I don't know if, I honestly, I don't know if they do like a foramen magnum widening. I imagine they could, but that would be done most likely by neurosurgery. And then thoracolumbar kyphosis, most of the time it resolves as they walk more and as they stand more upright, but you can do a spinal fusion with curves greater than 50 degrees, similar to how we treat the adolescent idiopathic scoliosis. And what is kind of the difference between achondroplasia and pseudoachondroplasia? Yeah, so they both have rhizomelic limbs, but, you know, pseudoachondroplasia, they'll have a normal facial appearance and have more severe limb malalignment on, and odontoid hypoplasia. And so the mutation in this is going to be the comp gene or the cartilage oligomeric protein. I remember these questions, they like, the answer choices are all like similar letters, you know, like, and for the okay. achondroplasia, it'll be like FGF 
R3 or FGF3. And I'm like, and you, everybody remembers this FGF something, but you don't remember if it's the R3 or just the three. They'll put like the CBFA1 for the clinocardial dysplasia or the comp COMP gene for like pseudoachondroplasia as well. So just know these genes. And unfortunately, I think we just, just got to know them. <laughs> yeah. So what condition is going to be characterized by a cauliflower ear, a hitchhiker's thumb, a cleft palate with a short stature and rhizomelic limbs? So that is not achondroplasia. That is going to be diastrophic dysplasia, which is an autosomal recessive inherited condition with a defect in the DDTST, that it's a sulfate transporter, DDDT. DST, sulfate transporter gene mutation. And you can also see clubfoot, other musculoskeletal manifestations of it. But the key ones are they're either going to show you a picture or they're going to describe cauliflower ear, hitchhiker thumb, and short stature. And the cauliflower ear and hitchhiker thumb should clue you into diastrophic dysplasia, DDTST, sulfate transporter protein. So what characterizes multiple epiphyseal dysplasia or MED and what is the gene mutation? Yeah, so this, I mean, you'll see it on the x-ray. So they're, they're going to have abnormal ossification. So they'll, I mean, it's just what the name says at multiple epiphyses of their bones are going to have dysplasia and abnormal ossification. So again, this is going to be a defect in the comp gene, as we talked about a little bit earlier with pseudoachondroplasia. So the cartilage oligomeric protein, as well as the collagen or COL9A2. So COL9A2, you'll see in multiple epiphyseal dysplasia. So these patients may have like a, a short stature. Their hip may resemble perthes, but they'll have bilateral and simultaneous. So again, just Google multiple epiphyseal dysplasias. Again, we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time on a lot of these dysplasias, but we at least want to say it so you heard it. And yeah, just like you said, that last question with the diastrophic dysplasia, I've seen them ask like, oh, the gene that is responsible for this condition does what? And the answer was like sulfate transport. I was like, dude, come on, man. Really? Like, <laughs> we, like we gotta know this? Like, come on, man. But I guess, yeah, this stuff, there's some things we need to know. And so next, what condition is noted by multiple joint dislocations of like maybe their hip, knee, shoulder, radial head, et cetera? Yeah, it's an autosomal dominant condition. It's called Larsen syndrome. They can also have clubfoot and cervical kyphosis. I guess anytime you see either a question or a patient in real life that has multiple joint dislocations, you should always check the C-spine just because you don't want the C-spine to also become one of those multiple joint dislocations. So you're going to screen the C-spine with radiographs and all of that stuff. So Larsen syndrome and it's autosomal dominant. And then what's the inheritance for the mucopolysaccharidosis, which is kind of that like, I've heard it pronounced two ways, like Gaucher's or Gaucher's or Hunter's syndrome, like that sort of stuff. Yeah, it all, all comes back, but almost all of them are going to be autosome recessive, except for Hunter's syndrome. So this is the one that they may test on because this is going to be X-linked recessive. Everything else is autosome recessive, but Hunter's is going to be X-linked recessive. So it's going to be like exclusively in males, right? Because, you know, men only have 
1X1X gene. But there are multiple manifestations for these kind of mucopolysaccharidoses. They can have increased carpal tunnel syndrome, limb malalignment, proportional dwarfism, as well as multiple other things that we're not going to go into a whole bunch of detail on those. So just if you want to dive deeper into the multipolysaccharidoses, just like you were talking about like Gaucher's and all these other things, you're going to have to read up on that. We will talk about Morchio syndrome. So Morchio syndrome results in an accumulation of what substance? It is keratin sulfate. Patients will also have odontoid hypoplasia, and that's the odontoid process of C2. They can have hip dysplasia and other musculoskeletal abnormalities. And again, because these patients have a, a deformity or a uh, defect in their cervical spine, you're going to get cervical spine x-rays to, uh, to monitor that odontoid hypoplasia and make sure that they're not getting uh, C1, C2 instability. What is a condition that you would be concerned about in a two-year-old with long bone, bowing, metaphyseal cupping, and increased visceral width? That's going to be rickets. And I think in our basic science talk, we talked about like rickets versus hypophosphatemic rickets or vitamin D dependent. And we went over like all the all the lab values there. So if you want, you can go and check out that section for to hear us review the lab values, or you can go and check out the book, which will have like a little chart there of kind of these lab values for rickets. Because again, you need to know like the phosphate levels in the serum versus the urine, the calcium, the 125, vitamin D, and you know all that good stuff. What are the types of inheritance for familial hypophosphatemic rickets? Yeah, the ones you need to know the most are the first two, the autosomal dominant and the X-linked dominant. X-linked dominant is going to be the P-hex mutation, P-H-E-X mutation, and then the autosomal dominant form is going to be FGF23. And like you were talking about earlier, they while they don't necessarily make up these genes, they do select similar genes for answer choices to throw you off. So like the achondroplasia is FGFR3, I believe. This one is FGF23. So they'll have these separate genes listed, but you have to know that FGF23 is an autosomal dominant form of hypophosphatemic rickets, whereas FGFR3 is for achondroplasia. And then the less commonly tested and less commonly seen form of familial hypophosphatemic rickets is dentin matrix protein 1 or DMP1 mutation. So those are the, but know the first two, X-linked dominant, PX, autosomal dominant, FGF23. And similar sounding, but a different condition is hypophosphatasia. What is the defect seen in hypophosphatasia? Yeah, so they're going to have a defect in alkaline phosphatase. So they're going to have a bunch of urinary phospho, phosphoanthelatamine. I'm probably sure I butchered that pronunciation, but they're also going to have low alkaline phosphatase. So again, defect in alkaline phosphatase, so they'll have low amounts of that, but in the urine, they'll have high urinary phosphoethanthalamine. Now, what condition would you be concerned about in a patient with anterior lateral tibial bowing, hemihypertrophy, and scoliosis? So the first thing that cued me into that, like if I was doing this as a test question, is the anterior lateral bowing is going to be that neurofibromatosis. Then you get the hemihypertrophy and the scoliosis, which further kind of confirms that diagnosis. 
and that's going to be autosomal dominant neurofibromatosis where there's an NF1 gene mutation. And they're also going to talk about or show pictures of cafe au lait spots, optic gliomas, other manifestations, skin lesions, that sort of stuff. And so the cafe au lait lesions in neurofibromatosis are coast of California cafe au lait lesions. The coast of Maine lesions are associated with, I believe it's McEwen-Albright syndrome. So they're not going to test you on that necessarily, but the cafe au lait spots for neurofibromatosis are much more smooth bordered, whereas the McEwen-Albright patients, they have a very jagged border, that coast of Maine border. What is a condition that you'd be concerned about in a 15-year-old male? He has pectus excavatum and acetabuli protusio, scoliosis, long digits, and flat feet. Yeah, so it's going to be Marfan syndrome, kind of classic. You got to know this is a defect in fibrillin 1. They're going to have increased TGF beta, which I've seen that as a question. I've seen the fibrillin 1 as a question. I've seen the autosomal dominant as a question before. So all of those you need to know, again, this is going to be Marfan syndrome. So, you know, the acetabular protrusio, they may just show you an x-ray of that. So you need to be able to, to note that. So, you know, again, remember looking at the ilioischial lines and then where the hip is, that can clue you in. Um, scoliosis, long digits, flat feet. Again, this is all Marfans. And so what would you be concerned about in a patient with hyperelastic skin, ligamentous laxity, and poor wound healing. That's going to be Ehlers-Danlos. So they're going to try and confuse Ehlers-Danlos with Marfan's. They're not the same though. The Ehlers-Danlos kids have the hyperelastic skin. You're going to test them on the Biton score, which is kind of a test of hyperflexibility. 90% of the time, Ehlers-Danlos kids have a type 5 collagen disorder. And the big thing to be concerned about with these patients is circulatory issues because of their hyperelastic connective tissue. They can have a hyperelastic aorta and have aortic root dilation, which can then lead to aortic valve issues and then that leads to cardiac issues. And so you want to screen these patients with a echo to look for aortic root dilation. Yep. 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 Exactly. And I think that that is going to wrap us up for peds, man. We, we have done almost all of it. We have, let's say, the best for last. We have oncology next as far as our reviews. And I, I still laugh in, in thinking that we thought we were going to do all the orthopedics in six months. Yeah. But it, it's, be, it's been a road and, and we're getting closer to the end. You know, I was I was even at this, I was at this anime meeting this past weekend. And one of the fellows there actually told me, like, they there was a, a session where they were talking about, like, resources and everything for, like, residents and fellows and stuff, but they had the podcast up there as a resource. I was like, oh, that's cool. I wish I was there. I took a picture. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. We've been putting in some work and hopefully I think a lot of people are really liking our, our reviews and, and learning a lot. So I'm glad that they're that they're learning and we can help educate everybody on these conditions and we'll do oncology next, you know, the fun stuff. Yeah. We're going to get into actual real orthopedics now. <laughs> oh man so for those listening you know hit the subscribe button and leave a review as to how much you enjoy these episodes and we'll see everybody next time do you want to make twenty dollars for five minutes of your time david mandel is an upcoming three-time guest on this podcast and his firm has designed a survey to learn what young doctors care about when it comes to finances the first 30 of you who complete the survey get a twenty dollar amazon gift card 20 bucks for five minutes not bad 
To get a link to the survey, just text GET20 to 844-418-1212. That's G-E-T-20 to 844-418-1212. I will also put a link in the show notes.